0: Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.
1: An Eye for an Eye podcast contains subject matters that many may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. I'm up on the murder train. <laughs> That's how this is starting. I'm so happy I got that. I'm so happy I got that. Welcome back, everybody. It's your host, Lisa, and your boy.
2: Maddie Ice, hello. With
1: a beautiful rendition of a
2: murder, murder train from How I Met Your Mother. If you haven't seen the show, that's a great one.
1: <laughs> I hope we don't have to pay copyright for that little. Thing. Oh damn
2: it, James <laughs> Vanderbeek, If so, I'm gonna be pissed. <laughs>
1: no, I think we're good. But we are back with an episode,
2: mm. uh, truly unique one. Tonight, truly yes. unique we one. We always love having guest hosts, but this When one's we have a one who's really either
1: not just a friend, not
2: just a friend, or not somebody he who's just he's offering just perspective. A friend. You say he's just a friend. And oh, now
1: baby. we get to.
2: <laughs> oh, That was way better. Uh, but no, truly, tonight we have a guest who can offer us insight on not only the personal aspect of this case, but also on the legal aspect of this case, which is truly unique because we have not yet shared our stage with an attorney. Our first time speaking with a licensed attorney, and we are so excited to hear what he has to say.
1: Absolutely, and he's going to be calling in here in a second, but first, we wanted to make a really exciting announcement. Woo! So, by the time you guys hear this, which should be Wednesday or Thursday of this week, we are oh, no, recording no. on a Monday. Sunday. Nope, this is Sunday. Ah, <laughs> wow. Lisa's been drinking. No, I haven't. I'm sober, which is sad. I wish I wasn't. No. Um, but we have a really special announcement. We have joined the Murderly Podcast, Podcast Network. Network. Uh, Which is a bunch of true crime podcasts, part of our pod family. Uh, It's so exciting for us. It's such a huge step in our podcast, both professionally and personally for us. Uh, We've been under wraps with this for quite some time now. We were waiting to announce it, but the network is up now. You have to go check it out. That's murder.ly, and we call it Murderly.
2: Podcast to die for.
1: Podcast to die for. And there's a lot of amazing true crime podcasts on there that you guys all have to check out. They're great friends of ours. They've Incredible. been so supportive in our journey here. Um, and, you know, maybe one day we're going to make this something where we don't have to do our day jobs anymore.
2: <laughs> we would love that.
1: Right? And, oh, um, extreme thanks yes. to Kim. Our- Kim. Patreon supporter came out at one of the highest tiers that we have. Kim, I cried. I cried. I know you know because I messaged you shortly thereafter, giving you all the praise because I've never felt such a feeling in my life.
2: Kim, I'm not as much of a crier, but I gave a damn. Which is equal to that (laughs) level of shock that Lisa displayed. Like, damn!
1: Like, uh, the words can't describe how thankful we are for you and for your support and for believing in our show, along with all of our other patrons. Um, We're so excited. We're going to get that t-shirt out to you and all the other goodies out to you here soon. No doubt.
2: Keep an eye out.
1: So thank you so much. If anyone would like to donate to our Patreon page, a little as as little as $1 a month can get you some nice goodies and then up from there. Um, and we appreciate the support. The gear is fire. Yeah, everything that you guys do for us is unbelievably appreciated. And so we just want to thank you all so much. And so we're going to get in today's show Woo,
0: let's right, right now.
1: Right John W. Yingo, Sr., 72. Lucy McGavero, 90. Mary Natoli, 85. Helen Dean, 91. Leroy Sin, 71. Earl Young, 76. Catherine Dext, 49. Frank Mazzacco, 66. Jesse Eichlin, 81. Autumn Marshram, 78. Matthew Mattern, 22. Irene Krapf, 79. William Park, 72. Samuel Sprangler, 80. Daniel George, 82. Edward O'Toole, 76. Eleanor Stoker, 60. Joyce E. McGinney, 74. Giacomino J. Toto, 89. John J. Shanegger, 83. Dorothea K. Hoagland, 80. Melvin T. Simcoe, 66. Michael T. Strenko, 21. Florian J. Gall, 68. Pasquale M. Napolitano, 80. Christopher B. Hardgrove, 38. Chris Apadye 70. Edward P. Zizek, 73.
3: Is 40 an arbitrary number? 40 is an estimate. I gave a number between 30 and 40. I think I have identified, you know, uh, most of them. Look, you, you, you pled guilty to murder you don't use that word? I think I had a lot of trouble accepting that word for a long time. Um, I accept that that's what it is. Do you consider yourself a serial killer? Uh,
1: I mean, I, I guess it depends upon a person's definition. If it's more than one and it's a pattern, I guess, then yes.
2: Hey, Richie, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. How Hi. you guys doing?
1: So, Richie, thank you so much for joining us. Could you tell us a little bit about what you do and your background and specialties and stuff?
3: Sure. I'd be happy to. Thanks for having me on the show. I, I'm a lawyer, a trial lawyer in New Jersey in Freehold. Uh, what trial lawyer means is I'm, I'm the guy who goes to the courtroom and argues in front of a jury. There's a lot of different lawyers out there now. Um, a lot of them are transactional. Not many go to a courtroom. I, I go to a courtroom. That's what I do um so i'm a trial lawyer in new jersey i live in the jersey shore I'm with my wife and uh my baby Alyssa. and we're about to have number two Woo. and uh yeah like any day so
2: congratulations <laughs> so, man
3: thanks thanks a lot so that's me in a nutshell uh, i the, the firm i work for is a little mural law firm in freehold and it's kind of a family gig my dad's there my brother's there my sister's there we oh, got wow. a bunch of lawyers in the family Beautiful. so that's kind of cool yeah i was born and bred to be a trial lawyer yeah, that's
1: what
2: I think. yeah <laughs> Honestly,
1: right though, that's not a bad profession to be born and bred into, that's for no, sure. No,
3: it's cool. I really I really dig it. I like what I do.
2: Like we were saying, obviously, we really appreciate you being on this, just to give us a little bit of perspective from this case especially, because obviously the trial itself was a hugely important part, a crux of this case. Um, and we're going to dive in and talk a little bit more about our subject. Tonight. And
1: kind of a big part that I want to talk to you about, especially, Richie, is that it's kind of like how... Everything slipped through the cracks, yes. right? So, so many times this could have been put to an end before, um, you know, before it got to where it got, and somehow yeah. that just didn't happen. Which, like I said, is the most mind-boggling part of this whole thing. But yeah, so I'll start with the background. If no one figured out what case we're talking about. Um, this case, actually, Richie, Richie decided upon, which we think is the most perfect case. We're covering Charles Cullen today. If you guys don't know who he is, um, in the media, actually, I was reading through my research, they called him the angel of death. However, a lot of people say that's a misnomer because um, an angel of death, by definition, is someone who, um, a nurse who kills or, a, you know, a doctor who kills their patients. But according to, you know, my research, it was a misnomer because angels of death, um, mainly killed people out of mercy is what they would say Correct. which is what he kind of tried to pass on what he did is but um people say it's a misnomer because they think he just killed to kill is pretty much why they think that that's not necessarily an accurate depiction of um him so there yeah, is that.
3: it fair for is it fair for me to jump in yeah of course <laughs> it's definitely a misnomer like when you think of the angel of death you think of Kevorki and someone who's doing it as a mercy killer for, right. for like um Assisted suicide. Somebody who has ALS, or you know, that that's the type of angel of death um, that's been broadcasted in the media. This guy was spiking IV bags randomly, um, yeah. not knowing where they were going yeah. and killing people. So to give him any type of angel of death um, is definitely a misnomer, I, I
1: think. Yeah, absolutely. Especially through you know, like you said, when you when we get into what he did and who he targeted, or you know, there, there was no clear cut motive. Um, other than just to kill, right? There was no, and he tried to spin that. So we'll talk it's about it. It's confusing. Yeah, it's
3: confusing. Yeah, and, and it's not. It's not clear. But there's maybe there were situations where he was trying to assist in in someone who was suffering. But there's clear evidence that there were several instances where there was no one suffering and it was just a random IV bag that he spiked and yep. it went and you know so yep. I, I think it's unfair to categorize him in one or the other
1: I absolutely think. I 100% agree okay. so getting into a bit of his background real quick just so people can get an idea of who what we are talking about Charles Cullen was born in uh west, west orange New Jersey so is that near you
3: No, but it's right where I went to school I went went to Seton Hall University in South Orange And it was the town next door Yeah, West Orange is probably about 45 minutes north of me
1: Wow Go Pirates Uh, Yeah, I'm so bad at Go Pirates, you know it (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, he was born in West Orange, New Jersey And that was in 1960 So he was the youngest of eight children Which is a hell of a big family Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm one of one, one of two (laughs) How many siblings do you have, Richie?
3: I have three siblings.
1: Three siblings, Two, nice. of,
3: two of the three are, are lawyers and the other one manages the office. So oh, Wow, all, it, it really
1: is it, a family it, practice out there.
2: Yeah, they fed it to us
3: in, in our uh, food at night, I
1: guess.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Down to the signs you guys have it, though.
1: Like I said, there could yeah, be worse know. things to be fed. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> well, yeah. So, um, Charles' father was a bus driver who was 58 years old at the time of his birth. Unfortunately, died when he was seven months old. So his father passed away when he was really young. I he did not get a chance to know his father. Mm-hmm. He described his childhood as miserable. Now he there's no research really like getting into so much detail on that. I didn't find any, um, but I think it's typical. You know, he lost his father. hectic household with a single mother raising eight kids. Mm-hmm. Um, especially being the youngest, that would be hard. Yeah, because. By the time people say when they have their second kid, they like, they're like they like, oh, whatever, you know what I mean? It's kind of like hands up in the air, whereas your first kid, you're really careful. You don't want to break the baby. By your eighth, I'm imagining you're kind of like, go play outside, I don't care, <laughs> like, you know, come home whenever you want. So I'm sure that kind of got to his head a bit as well, although that's just me speculating. That's not anything that's ever been reported. What was really unfortunate was when Cullen was nine, he made his first of many suicide attempts by drinking chemicals from a chemistry set, so by nine, that's young. That's really that's really sad. Um, so yeah, so you know, you could see by an early time he was pretty disturbed. Um, you know, he wasn't he wasn't completely you know happy with his life. He said his childhood was miserable, and it was miserable enough for him to believe that suicide was the only option. So I did.
2: wonder at what point of Development of cognitive development. Do you even contemplate killing yourself, and that being a rational thought? I mean, honestly, it's not, and,
1: and it's mostly people suffering with mental illness. So I don't think it's yeah, like well, They like sit and hitting, pen out. Yeah,
3: you might be hitting the nail on the head that if at nine years old you're starting to have those thoughts, that there's probably something that needs to be addressed early on. Absolutely. Um, and I think this guy, you know, is is a perfect example of someone who went his entire life without ever getting help uh any things that he needed help for him mean, he attempted suicide 20 times 20
1: yep yes and that and he
3: was is, in a yeah, psych ward twice at least two times he was he was in a psych ward um and i don't think anyone ever took the time and effort to to help him and maybe if they did this whole thing would have been reversed oh, but absolutely. it certainly it, it certainly never was
1: and, so, and it makes I mean, you wonder 9 years old yeah it makes you wonder especially because he was so young when he first tried to take his life um it really does make you wonder if he had the correct support, um, or if you know circumstances would have been different, would he still have those thoughts? Would he still you know right. feel or like? Or chemically, there was an like
3: chemically, it may, it may have been a, psych- a psychiatric issue. Where if someone had prescribed him the correct medication, maybe he was not going to have these type of thoughts. Oh,
2: absolutely. Very I mean, good.
3: Who point. knows? It's thousands of ways it could have gone. But one thing's for sure is it was never addressed.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: to this day, a large portion of diagnosis by. I mean, I don't even know how to call it diagnosis by prescription, I guess would be the best way to put it. It's all just kind of throwing darts at a dartboard.
1: yeah, I mean, you, know, you have there's... to get the right yeah, cocktail drugs. Cause yeah, a lot of the warnings of drugs that are anti-depression, anti, you know, um psychosis, those kind of drugs can also make those thoughts worse. Um yeah. so you're right. It is kind of like you know, you have to find the correct uh, cocktail here and it, you know, no one knows that better than Charles Cullen, I guess, because this is kind of how he. He did his deeds. So, going back into it, he would later claim, um, because he ended up being a nurse, as we talked about a little bit, he would later claim to often fantasize about stealing drugs from the hospital where he worked and using them to end his life as well. So, he's, it seems like he has never not had these, you know, horrible thoughts in his head. Right. It seems like he was just trying to find the right time, the right circumstance to carry it out. And, like Richie said, you know, he tried 20 plus times to yeah. end his life. And, you know, as.
3: There's also maybe maybe he was trying to fight, find the right circumstances to carry it out, or maybe he was trying to get some type of attention from it because it's pretty clear yeah. on several of the attempts that they weren't real attempts. they were yeah. kind of masked attempts to get some type of reaction. yeah, right. so
1: uh, I think I think there were several of those that that really couldn't be considered serious attempts, but
3: like when he was in the Navy, for example, he had a couple of attempts there that were they were very much not going to end his life and he knew that but he did it anyway and you know to to have that occur and then not check it um is an issue i think
1: oh absolutely and to add um you know insult to injury here in 1977 so that would have made cullen 17 years old uh or yeah seven charles 17 years old his mother died in a car accident and his sister was the driver of that car accident Um, I don't, she, I don't believe she passed away. There was nothing to report that. Um, but that was another traumatic event in his life. So early on, seven months old, of course, he doesn't really remember that, but his father passes away. Then when he's 17, his mother passes away. I mean, I can't imagine the traumas going through all of that, you know, in such a short span of time when you're young. I'm sure that has, you know, everything to do with the, the extreme downward spiral that we find him in here, um, as we go forward.
3: Yeah, it certainly helped. I mean, right. One of the one of the things they know, there's a book um, that's written on this this case called The Good Nurse. Mm-hmm. And uh, if anybody is interested in the case and wants to find out more, it's a good read. Uh, but it's it's really the only documented account by way of a book. Yeah. But in that, he says that um, they were dis- dishonest with him when his mother died. They were dishonest with him, and he, he kind of begrudged the uh, the hospital for that. I wonder if he took that with him into his future. Kind of hints at that, but I don't I don't know. Could be, could not be, but. It seems to hint that he yet a grudge. Sounds very wow.
1: likely that that is part of what took you know transpired here. And like you mentioned um
2: It's a key tidbit of information. though. I mean, yeah. we wonder where did this all stem from? That's at least, you know, obviously his background weighs a lot on that, but if that was his motivation, you know, to blame just the healthcare practice in general, I mean, you it's, know. Right.
3: He seems he seems to run back to the healthcare profession constantly throughout his life. It's, it's an interesting nexus. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That is
1: a really interesting point to make. Um, and like you touched on the following year after his mother passed, he did end up dropping out of high school and he enlisted in the US Navy where he served aboard the submarine USS Woodrow Wilson. Um, as you mentioned, he had a few suicide attempts while he was serving, uh, which led to an, um, a medical discharge in 1984. And it says, yeah, it was seven times he attempted suicide. But like you said, it didn't really seem like all of those were very serious attempts.
2: Wonder if he was just not feeling the military life at that point, and had just kind of decided the only way I'm gonna really be able to get medical leave is to do
1: something
3: uh, drastic. Yeah. And, yes, yeah. certainly there was. He was, he, by the way, he was he was picked on in, in the military. He was he was not treated well. Um, so he he used the um, the attempts to kind of transfer units a couple times, and um, it's pretty clear. I think at least one time. Instead of, you know, he, he knew to a science the right way to slice your wrist if you wanted to commit suicide. He did it the incorrect way. So, um, it, it, like I said, it wasn't a real attempt, but it mm-hmm. definitely got him out of where he was and put into a different unit. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't one time. It was several
1: times. Yeah. And so, it's just... it it's you, you're right you kind of wonder what goes through the mind of someone whether it is for attention or it is a serious thing because when you're nine i don't i don't know i mean one of eight it really could have been one of those things where it's like attention driven or depression driven or you know circumstance driven um it's it feels like rolling the dice with him depending on which time you're talking about right because like yeah. when you're nine you can't fathom it being for attention but then again you you could you know what i mean one of eight To make a splash in that you got to do something pretty drastic you'd think but yeah so once he is discharged from the navy this is when everything starts to hit the fan a bit discharged from the navy and he becomes part of the nursing school of mountainside hospital of nursing in montclair new jersey
3: if, I don't mean to cut you off, but no, there's two fine. things that I really wanted to make a point of when we were discussing this case, because you said, you know, the the punishment fits the crime type yeah. of analysis, right?
1: Yeah.
3: That's the theme of the uh, show. So one of the th- things that, w- in my opinion, w- was not punished correctly are all the people who missed the signs in the hiring process for this 100%. guy. 100%. Yeah, so we are now at the point where he's been discharged from the military, with several suicide attempts, yeah, clearly unstable, and he's quickly put into a position to take care of people who are in a compromised position. It doesn't make sense, and it's offensive, and it happened
1: over for 16 over, years at nine different hospitals. Again. Yeah. yeah, and, and that's right, a really so good point. To touch I don't want to
3: jump. I don't want to jump around too much, but I think at that point when he when he's done with the military, there should have been some analysis, and the lack to do that was was, in my opinion, has been not addressed.
1: Ever. Absolutely. I 100% agree. And I was actually going to bring that up to you when I was researching this. I don't understand either how in the world you get discharged for having serious a medical discharge for suicide attempts and it not be looked at as like, okay, this might be uh, someone who's struggling with mental health. We shouldn't right. put him in the position to care for others if he needs to get care for himself.
2: As a medical, right. I wonder if a medical discharge... Is the nature of a medical discharge?
1: I know someone who got a medical discharge because he didn't disclose that she was bipolar.
2: Well, I was gonna say, is it disclosed on a job application? I yeah. mean, obviously I don't know today, that. You know? Yeah, I don't. I don't know that, and I, I don't,
3: don't know if so. uh, you know HIPAA regulations um, could have masked what all these different times he applied to jobs. But right. it just seems peculiar that um, we put people. You know, I think society failed twice here. It failed to cure Cohen, or at least
1: address his issues. Twice. They yeah, and, over and then they over failed and over
3: by over putting again. him in a position where he could hurt others. So it was exactly.
2: Absolutely.
1: Um, so he did graduate from nursing school. As president of his class, So he was he did really well, I guess, in nursing school in 1987. Um, and he began immediately working with the burn unit of St. <laughs> St. Brenovese Medical Center in Livingston. Um, this part is kind of, you know, it, it's good to note because she does bring up some things later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ended up marrying and. Adrian Taub the same year and they had two daughters together. So that was something that was kind of like not in a lot of the research, but the one article I found that talks with her, talks about her, I thought was really poignant to discuss later on in the research and the story here, um, because it does tell a lot about this this man and the character of him, um, besides the like, little tidbits we got from his time in the military and time when he was a kid.
3: Yeah, no, I don't know if you're jumping into his... That, that relationship was very troubled and they had substantial domestic violence issues.
1: He did start murdering people before he got divorced from his wife. So his yeah. first confessed murder took place during his time at St. Barnabas. Is that right? Barnabas. <laughs> Barnabas. St. <Saint> Barnabas. <laughs> I can't do this today. <laughs> okay, so on June 11, 1988, he administered a lethal overdose of intravenous medication to a patient. He also issued an overdose of insulin to an AIDS patient and he admitted to killing several other patients, estimated to be over a dozen in that hospital. He left that hospital, because I'm not going to say the name because I keep messing it up, in January 1992 when hospital authorities began investigating who had contaminated IV bags. So the first job he had, this is important to note, the first job at a hospital he had, he was being investigated because, right. well, not him specifically, but it was being in- investigated and he was the common denominator. That is so important because like Richie said, the whole world had a lot of chances to put this guy away, to Absolute. get this to stop. And it started with his first job. Keep that
3: in mind. Yeah, if they if they get him at Saint Barnabas, I mean, it's debatable how many people he killed, but they think maybe somewhere around four hundred. You can just imagine how many lives are saved if they if they do what they needed to do at Saint Barnabas.
1: Yep, yep. Yeah. If they did what they needed to do after he was discharged, you know what I mean? It's just like yeah. It, we're gonna go over this at the end as well, but. Every step of the way, every single step of the way, at least twenty people's lives could have been saved.
2: It's almost like he got really lucky that people were just neglectful of what he they're. He probably to took do.
1: advantage of that. He was probably loving it by the end. He was probably like, you know what, this laughing. is easy. Yeah, this
2: he was, is too easy. He's probably laughing. It's,
3: out, it's outrageous, and he was at the end. He he was he was saying, oh, unbelievable, it went this long and nobody checked.
1: Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so he killed over a dozen people. He admitted to killing. Uh, Over a dozen people at that hospital now. He ended up leaving in January 1992 when hospital authorities began investigating Because he realized that of course he would probably be linked to all of these so he pieced the investigation did determine that Cullen was the most likely person who would be responsible for contaminating those bags which again how in the world was he able to work for a hospital after this? Why weren't there charges brought about? And yeah, we'll it even talk says about they
2: it. just didn't really follow up on that. Like well, it was most likely him, but he doesn't work here anymore. Well, there so. were
1: reasons, um, Matt. You know when we had the episode on necrophilia and we talked about why morgues weren't reporting when they caught people. Yes. I found out through my research, pretty much the same with these hospitals. We'll find out because there's definitely a pattern wow. here. So they did not want to deal with the investigations. They oh, did not want to deal with getting shut down. Yep. They didn't right. want to deal with any of that. So they felt best to just sweep it under the rug and to just get him out of the hospital and they'd be okay. That's amazing. So we'll we'll go over it even more here because it's it gets really into it a little later down the line
2: there's definitely a link between i mean these these deaths and responsibility and well, that, it makes uh, you
1: scared because yeah, if, if, if these aren't that far yeah. removed from where we are right now right you know what i mean yeah no, things have changed laws have changed a little bit but it's still the way that he got away with this the way that the systems allowed him to get away with this are very much the same um and it makes you wonder really you know and we'll discuss this when we talk about eye for an eye at the end here but just keep all of this in mind right already he's killed over a dozen people the hospital knows it's most likely him who's done it but let's let's continue and see what happens does he go to jail instantly not for another 16 years
2: richie i have a quick question for you too <laughs> just just to, to butt in here do you happen to know the statute of limitations on murder well no 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 um <laughs> No, 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 no. Because there is none. There is not. No, no, I know that. No, do you happen to know the statute of limitations, though, for like. Um, I don't even know what it would be that he would have been accused of being like falsifying documents or impersonating, uh, I mean, he wasn't or really impersonating, no, but he wasn't really impersonating. Well, but, in
1: yeah. The I mean, it, it I mean,
3: depends. There's different statute of limitations for different crimes in New Jersey and there's different statute of limitations for, for civil lawsuits as well. Right. For murder, there is no statute of limitations for, Anywhere. you know, for different, yeah, for different yeah. crimes. It varies Right. Uh, according to statute. But by the time he got hit, um, the murder ones were probably the only ones they could pursue. The other ones probably had ran.
2: Everything had run out because I was going to say yeah. this spree went on for like you said, Lisa, almost what but it's, eighteen the, years. The thing I that's mean. most
1: impressive is he didn't like falsify a lot of documents. He did this stuff using the systems they gave him. Yeah, you know what I mean. And yeah. that's the crazy part. Well, here's
3: part a good example. a good example of that is is he had access to the obviously the medicine drawers and the Tylenol was placed with the drug that they nicknamed dig or whatever the yeah, one that you yeah. would inject the bags with so it's in the same drawer so he would go they, the, the log sheet would say you know colin goes to get 10 pills of tylenol all night and while he's doing that he's getting all these different lethal drugs so in a way he's he's actually not falsifying anything no. but breaking the law and so. spiking these bags with a drug that was in the same cabinet as the tylenol and yeah. then these idiots and i'll say it like that idiots would not realize what was going on. It's, right? good, it's unbelievable. unbelievable. It, and it, you know, it, it was too late. By the time they figured out, there was already mass killings.
0: Yep. This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business like a good neighbor state farm is there talk to your local agent today
1: it was a nurse who figured that out which we are going to touch on um a bit later is specifically how he did everything um but that's exactly right like he it's not like he was like some shady cat. he worked within the confounds of his job he really really figured out really easy ways to go within the system's limitations find those little areas that he could sneak in. And as soon as people would catch on, he'd find a different little way to do it. And it was just insane. And I have it broken down a little bit later. Um, but yeah, I mean, he moved from hospital to hospital. And the second hospital he went to um, was in Warren Hospital in Phillipsburg, which is where he ended up murdering three elderly women by giving them overdoses of the heart medicine uh, digoxin, which is what you were talking about because that was the one right. that was next to the Tylenol Which I don't know why you would keep heart medication uh, next to Tylenol. Those seem very different to me, but I'm also, not a doctor
2: so Is I don't know. there not some sort of registry of how there many is we're gonna can, go into Yeah, yeah
3: we're like, go into that. <laughs> That's what I'm
2: Machine the way they have
3: it like it, 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 it logs every single thing that's opened and closed But it was in the Tylenol drawer. So it just locked as that it didn't log as the, the dig or whatever it's called. Yeah. And he used he used chiefly insulin and this drug, Dig. Those were the two ones that he used, mainly right. to spike the bags.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, insulin's readily available, but I mean... Right. That's
1: the, well, so, it's not very difficult to
2: get that. Yeah.
3: Well, so
1: I guess it does make sense to go into exactly how he did it before we go on to like how, how uh, many other places he found. So basically, through my research, I found his secret laid in the drugs that he used. Now, it was reported that many hospitals do strictly regulate uh, drugs like ketamine, Oxycontin, Vicodin, Percocet... Uh, Darvacet, uh, Demerol, morphine, anything that can get you high and everything addictive. So anything that you can see, like, exactly. Anything (laughs) that a drug addict would, you know, want to get their hands on, they have it heavily regulated. However, Charles avoided those drugs. Right. He committed murder using medications normally employed to save lives, like that DIG drug. That's Mm. what we're going to call it, because I don't like saying the full name. We're going to call it DIG, um, which is commonly used to help regulate heart rhythm, uh, yeah, that like an was,
3: adrenaline shot. Yep, of
1: that was his main drug of choice because when employed in large enough doses, you could die. He he would inject it right into their IVs. Now, right. That drug especially was lethal to patients with a history of heart problems because of course it's it's made to help them in time of need, but not just willy nilly. So if you already have an unsteady heart, um, that is a very lethal thing to have administered to you, especially right through uh, an intravenous line. Now, insulin was another drug, it was reported, that Cullen frequently used, sending patients into spiraling diabetic comas and generally stressing their already fa- fragile systems. So, basically, he used the two most common drugs to help people, which were not the ones that were regulated because those aren't the ones that drug addicts want. No one on the street is dealing insulin. You know what I mean? Unless, unless they have a black market for diabetics to get it cheaper, You know, that's not a drug someone takes to get high. That's not an addictive drug that people you know, or seek after. So they don't think to regulate it in hospitals. Plus, who um, thinks
2: who's going to steal that? That's their first thought. Is yeah. It? I'm sure he thought that
1: And I thought too. this was really interesting because we're going to, like I said, we're going to go over more of what he did in the various hospitals in a minute. Um, but basically, he positioned himself in a way where sometimes he looked like the hero. So it was said that sometimes, you know, of course, he killed people doing these, uh, by injecting things into their lines. However, sometimes he would do it, and then he'd be the one to respond when they yelled at Code Blue. So right. then he knew exactly how to reverse what he did, and he'd save, you know, a random amount of these people. So it looked like, oh, he's a hero. He fixed this person. He saved their lives. Like, wow, good job. You know, he's actually gray- the
2: best nurse in this you're hospital. Gray. <laughs> gray?
1: Like, right?
3: Like, so he, he, he can solve that. the mysterious Code Blues when they're occurring because he created the Code yep. Blues.
2: Right. So,
3: and
1: it, it is interesting because yeah. it, it kind of reminds me of when you look at, um, you know, crime scene pictures for like serial killers, there are like town hall meetings about serial killers. Usually, in the audience, the serial killer's there, usually, in the yeah. background of the picture, something you can tell where the serial killer had just been. They like to be involved in. In their cases and it seems like that's exactly what he was doing he knew that he was the one who did that to the person but he put himself in a position where it was like he was it's almost like you know a little kind of munchausen type of thing you know he put himself in a position where people be like oh my gosh she saved that person's life but if right. you go back and look at all the ones that were saved he was the common denominator in all of them yeah. he was always so interesting
3: it, two interesting statistics for you when he was on He only worked 28% of the hours, but he was present for 56% of the deaths that were occurring (laughs) at the hospital that he was at. So, I mean, it's crazy that they didn't see this happening. And then when he was at the critical care unit, um, 22 code blues were happening a month when he was there. For six months after he left, there was not a code blue for six months.
1: And it's just like, why didn't they... It's just so crazy this didn't happen. Right. And like so you
3: you're... Can, yeah, I mean, you can either look at it as two things. One, this guy's the best nurse at the most um, unfortunate hospital, <laughs> hospital in history. Or you say, what the f- is going yeah. on? Yeah. <laughs>
1: uh, that's, that's exactly it, and it's... And, you know, the thing that's sad to me, and like I said, we're going to get into all of this even more, but what's sad to me is the nurses caught on and would refuse to work if he was in their hospital. So it took the nurses saying, hey, we're all going to quit if you don't get this guy out of our hospital Mm -hmm. for them to fire him. Why does it take people threatening to quit their jobs when 10, 20 patients are dying a week, a month, you know, for you to get this guy of the hospital.
2: Another reminder that we don't deserve nurses. We love you guys. Yeah,
1: exactly. Like, they stood up and they were like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, can't you see every single one of these deaths has been, there's one person that's common in every single one? Haven't you seen that? And like you talked about, uh, Richie, so basically, um, the one hospital he was at, uh, they used a Texas Med Station, which like you said, was like an ATM for um pills pretty much. And right. no nurse was really comfortable using the system, but Charles Cullen, of course. He made himself the master of it. And so he learned very quickly how to manipulate the machine. Now, basically the way the machine worked was it was an essential essentially a metal drug register with a computer screen and a keyboard affixed to the top. During their attempt, um or basically so It computerized everything, right? So it opened a drawer. It would pop open a drawer with the drugs in it. And like you said, Tylenol was right next to this DIG drug. I'm not, like I said, I have no idea why because one seems pretty tame and one seems not so tame. But basically he realized if he placed an order for a drug, he could quickly cancel it and the drawer would pop open anyways. So that's how he first started stealing the drugs without being detected uh he realized if he quickly cancelled out that he would order a, a random drug cancel it real quick but the door would still give him the drug just like a cash register it would still pop open if you hit cash even if you cancel the transaction you'd have to shut the drawer but then when people started catching on that he was doing that what he would do is what you said he would order tylenol realize that tylenol was right next to dig And instead of taking the 10 Tylenol he ordered, he would take the 10 of the other drug. And that is how he got away with it. That's what he did. And I, it's incredible that he figured out, because it's, it seems so simple. You know what I mean? It seems like that's such a simple thing to like catch on to. I'm almost
2: thinking of it's like when you work at a place for so long, you start to catch on to the little iniquities and the little easy places you can cut corners and yeah, and that's that's
3: particularly disturbing in hospitals exactly. where people have they have access to things that could really, obviously, they kill you. Blood nurses, especially. Drugs.
2: Yeah, it's, I
3: don't it's, know. It's changed my perspective when you go to the hospital and they hook up an IV to you, right? Uh, or an, the two examples I think of: one, the nurse who always has access to your IV bag,
2: right?
3: And then the other one is if you're ever going to have a surgery, the anesthesiologist who manages your
1: uh, consciousness
2: with
3: yes. drugs. So. I, I'm like damaged goods forever because of this case because I, mean, I just look at every time I see an IV bag, I'm like you know there is there's very little checks and balance on it. Absolutely. Well you
1: know what made me sad is um, a lot of the people he targeted were elderly were older especially ones with heart issues or diabetes and what made me sad is one of the cases which was his final victim or his final reported victim because like we said he's only admitted to like 20 but people think he's he's murdered over hundreds and hundreds of people Mm -hmm. um, because he was doing this for 16 years. But basically one of the elderly patients that he had poisoned said, reported that a sneaky male nurse had injected her as she slept, but family wrote it off as, you know, her just being old and like dementia, you know, her just being, and she was right. She died a few days later. He came in and he injected her with something. Mm -hmm. And there was one report and so he did this at a bunch of hospitals. Basically, he bounced around from hospital, 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 and somehow did it. Well, not somehow. We talked about somehow. Right. He he was able to do this because it was easier for the medical, the hospitals, the hospital staff, to keep it hush-hush than to have this report to the world and have their hospital shut down. Um,
2: nine hospitals. Nine. Oh, nine
3: hospitals. scary.
1: Um,
2: Over 16 years, too. I mean, think about if you would had a work, a work history any Job, yeah, any profession, right, right. like that, where you're bouncing around from job to job, location to location, every less than two years. Yeah. How does that, how do you continue to get jobs? Right.
3: Try, just, try messing with the cash register at Walmart and then right. go and try <laughs> and get a job. Yeah, yeah,
2: right?
1: Exactly. Go over right. to Kmart and
2: ask them for a job.
1: Lives. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. And that's the thing. It's like, why are, why is my job more regulated than their job? You know what? It's just, well, now well, it might it's be. It's not a, weird. yeah,
2: let, let's, let's keep it real. <laughs> By now we're talking 20 years on well, from when he was. I know so. we're
1: talking about a hospital, but like I said, in, in the necrophilia episode um, that we did the two-parter. It's that was very recent some of those yeah, cases. A lot of them and that were. still happens there. They'd yeah. rather keep it under covers than have their morgue shut down. So Lisa it does knows make you I don't, wonder.
2: Lisa knows I don't trust modern medicine for many reasons, honestly. I'm more of a holistic person myself and I, I mean, you know, everybody, you know, to each their own. That's just my opinion, but it's not because of the people, it's because yeah. of the system, really, because they try like anything else to try and make money off you, you yeah. know? Like that's just the way it is. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty clear that
3: the um, the failure to act on prosecuting and continuing to hire this guy was money-motivated. Maybe not, maybe not the failure to prosecute, but the failure to have the information turned over to the prosecutor yeah. for these hospitals, uh, fearing you know that they may get exposed.
2: Well, I mean, it's crazy. Like, you can get blackballed from the banking industry for you know in, insider trading for you know 500 bucks you know if you give your brother a tip on a good stock to so pick, you can get you can lose your license for the sec you know drug yeah.
1: charges like just non-violent drug offensive yeah. people are in jail yeah. for life yeah. this man walked into hospitals for years and so you know we did talk about really quick getting back into this story here uh we talked about his wife uh, filing for divorce it was a very contentious divorce and this is really important, too, because this should have been documented, right? Divorce is documented. That's a documented thing. And through the yes. divorce, she made two domestic violence claims, and she said that she, she described him in these reports as an alcoholic who stuffed pets into bowling bags and trash cans, poured lighter fluid into people's drinks, and made prank calls to funeral homes. So this is clearly a disturbed man, and that is in reports. You know what I mean? So it's like, how did the hospitals not see that report and say, okay, we don't want a man who pours lighter fluid into people's drinks working for our hospital? We're supposed to be saving people, not making them sick or trying to kill them.
3: Um, Yeah, it's it's confusing um, why nobody looked into, you know, his his history. The one thing I can think of is that, at least in New Jersey anyway, the things he was doing and the divorce and domestic violence issues, none of them were felonies and he wouldn't have had a felony record. Um, and sometimes a disqualifier for a new job is, have you ever been um, convicted of a felony? And he wasn't, so they may have just scratched off, no one kept it moving.
1: But don't you think Um, for a nurse it would be a little bit more than a felony?
3: You would think it would be, yeah, I mean... For me, for a lawyer, after I took the bar exam, there's a character in fitness, and they go through everything. I mean, I had a, a, a uh, extension wire in my dorm room they knew about. So Yeah, <laughs> I mean, oh, that's man. like
1: my brother works for the government. They literally had to travel to the places he studied abroad and ask people questions about him.
3: Yeah, they, they do a full vetting, and I don't know if maybe there's not as much of a vetting, or there, at least there wasn't when he was getting in. But like you said, I mean, pouring lighter fluid in people's drinks, he was also, according to his wife, Torturing animals in the basement.
1: Yeah.
3: Wow. Which Stuffing is, in is trash you know, that's a, a clear sign of someone who's intending to probably cause violence. I mean, mostly serial killers kill animals yeah. first.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's part yeah, of the McDonald's
2: Yeah, sadistic. Yeah. Yeah. And it
1: also was reported that he broke into a co worker's home in 1993 while she and her young yes. son slept, but he ended up stalking her throughout that year. And she had to file a report to get a restraining order against him. That. That like these are all reports. These are all reports. Can we
2: also just throw out? This would be a good case for what the hell happened here because there's. just we, like a, all of these
1: would. It's be. a
2: tumbling dice defect. Of, it's like just this guy like, was defect, not effect. The tumbling dice defect of just everything continuing to go right for this guy.
1: Well, it's exactly like Richie said. It's
2: like yeah, you're right. It's either true. he you're was right. like, yeah, I mean, he just got lucky, man. You know, like. Ugh
1: i don't i don't understand he
3: he dodged jail never really got popped on the the dvs the domestic violence he went in and out of the psych ward twice he attempted suicide 20 times without killing himself yeah i mean this guy basically did everything you could do to screw up in life and found 16 years worth of killing people never got caught
2: cat with nine lives and as a
1: nurse like that's a great profession (laughs) make him be some like a fucking dumpster diver like make him make him shovel poop for the rest of his life like why are you letting him into hospitals with all of this? But like you said, I don't think a lot of it was reported. I don't think a lot of people cared as long as it wasn't affecting the day-to-day operation. Well, it was. People were dying, so I still don't understand. In February 1998, Cullen was hired by Liberty Nursing and Rehabilitation Center in Allentown, Pennsylvania. So he's moved over to our state now. Hello. He, went from, <laughs> he went from New Jersey to PA. Um, and he.
2: So now he messed with all of us
1: right
2: now we we got (laughs) everybody on this call everybody on this call's got big problems
1: right now Now he was (laughs) accused there of giving patients drugs at unscheduled times and he was fired after being seen entering a patient's room with a syringe in hand the patient that he entered that room that room that he walked into with a syringe ended up with a broken arm that man woke up and said you're not putting that needle into me and they got into a scuffle homie broke his arm
2: Here's my question.
1: And he's still—that's—that's that's what it took to get him fired.
2: How many, pa- how many patients was he interacting with on a day-to-day basis? Do you think? Because how many people uh, do you think he?
1: Shitload.
2: He, exa- well, I mean, you know, obviously, I, I, that's just a sort of a throwing out there question, a socratic question. But like, I'm saying, how many people do you think he interacted with on a day-to-day basis that probably said the guy just didn't really seem right to me you know yeah probably a lot probably a pro- lot, probably a lot. Well, i that's
1: mean like i nurses straight up said to their supervisors we will not work here anymore if this man is in the building and that's what made the the place fire him it's insane that that's what it took so yeah it's true. just so basically i put in my research here literally quote that i wrote for myself from my own brain i wrote if you're like me and wondering how the hell this man continued to get nursing jobs with his history of mental instability and the number of suspicious deaths in hospitals that, while he was working at them, he continued to find work because of a national so- or shortage of, of nurses. Yep. They would rather have a nurse killing people than no nurse at all. I mean, I guess or that's... At least that's make a blind eye to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's kind of a generalization. But in my brain, my worked-up brain because of all of this craziness that didn't need to happen, that's how I'm seeing it in my head is like they they were willing to overlook suspicious behavior because they needed a nurse in that spot.
2: Well we I, I also just want to point out we're not talking about they you know, I, I always like to play devil's advocate for the they. They aren't some Darth Empire evil out there, you know, overlord. Uh, like the media people talk about, you know, like the healthcare industry. Like these are people. You know, they're, they're dealing with their own inadequacies that they're given on a day-to-day basis. Like, honestly, the system is flawed. This guy was able to work his way in with probably lying on his applications and just not having to report most of what and he did. And
1: it not reported, yeah. Yeah, I
2: mean, honestly, if, if you don't have to say it, why say it? Right. Look, like, right. I've been yeah, fired from that, two I jobs. I certainly that, don't say that on my <laughs> resume. Like, you know right. what I mean? Like,
3: That's a very valid point to make is that, you know, um, let We'll never really understand why it was that he got such a pass, and I think that that's one of the things that's, that hasn't been punished correctly in this case, is why did so many people give him a pass? Right. Who, who, who was responsible? It's like the Wall Street thing. All these guys got bailouts, but none of them are in jail.
2: True, yeah. See, none I great think point. the problem
1: with this case is multiple people are responsible now because they let it get so far that exactly. that so many people just turned a blind eye, didn't do the proper checks and balances, and they let this guy go and kill
3: Oh, of people. And I don't, I don't know this for sure, but I have to believe at some point there was that meeting that we're all picturing in our minds with the doors closed when we said, dude, this guy's killing people. What are we going to do about it? And yeah. they were like, well, we can't say anything because it's going to screw us. Yep. And I got to imagine that happened. I don't well, have proof 100%. of it, but I I got to believe it.
2: Well, I was at, um, and Lisa knows this, but Richie, I'll give you a little background on myself. I was at Penn State during the whole Jerry Sandusky scandal. And oh,
3: that's another, that's another perfect example,
2: actually. I believe that exact You should exact, be
1: on that case when we cover it.
2: Yes, man. I, I believe come back. that exact same. Let's do
1: it. Yeah, yeah we'll let you know. Yeah. Um, that's
2: a perfect example. I, I truly believe that exact same meeting took place where it was like, hey, we've come to the point now where we're like, we're in knee huh? deep in this shit. Whether we wanted to be or not, but we're knee deep in this. So we either got to yeah, turn this it's, over it's to the police worse, and right? risk the possible litigation that we're going to face, or we're going to have to just bite the bullet and not say a word and hope this plays out for the best without biting us in the ass too much and i think that might be what happened here
1: well that's a hundred percent what happened
2: it feels that way it really does it feels very similar to the penn state cover-up i would call
1: it yeah well and so we talked about the fact that he charles cullen attempted suicide whether they were you know legitimate attempts or not he attempted suicide over 20 times um and i was wondering and i did a little bit of research into this what, not only why wasn't this reported, but why didn't any hospital hold him, right? Why wasn't he committed anywhere? Um, yeah, and I, and I looked into. It, good question. I looked into it because I was really curious because this man should have been in a psych ward. If he's he trying to end his life every year for 16 yeah. years, that's something to take seriously. Um, and basically what I found, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, but this is what it said uh, through my research. It said... Um, the the ways places and hospitals can make psychiatric holds largely depend on the state. They depend on the hospital. They depend on the room at the psychiatric facilities, and they depend on um, the assessed risk at that particular moment. They are not. It doesn't seem like they really take into consideration all the past attempts. It's kind of like the here and now. Right now, are you a threat to yourself? Tomorrow? No. Okay, you can leave. On this. It probably
3: varies probably state to state. I'm sure I know in New Jersey, and I deal with this a lot um, for a lot of my clients who have difficulties. They get taken to the hospital, and they get put in the crisis unit for 10 days. It's a 10-day lockdown. And then they're released, and that's what happens. And like, there's, no, there's a very large demand for psychiatric care, and there's not enough facilities to give right. that care. So after 10 days, they're just pushed out the door back into the street a lot of times, unless they have the money and means to go somewhere else. But, you know... You get put in the psych ward or the for ten days and then you're out. Yeah, but I, he was he was institutionalized twice.
1: Yeah, which yep. is
3: I mean, <laughs> that in and of itself. You probably if you've been put in the psych ward, you probably shouldn't be responsible for people's health.
1: A hundred percent. know, I don't know. Yeah, um, I mean, Physical uh,
3: health, I'm talking about. Physical health.
2: Shouldn't that just disqualify you right there from ever working? Yeah, I, I
3: believe that should be a, disqual- a, a disqualifier. Now, that being said, I'm not sure because I, I, I can't say for certain whether that's even something that can be disclosed. It may be a right. HIPAA violation to that ever that. It
2: might be a HIPAA, HIPAA violation HIPAA. to even have to put that on a job application. Exactly. In yeah. fact,
3: it probably is. You probably can't find out that somebody's been in the psych ward.
2: Right. So- yeah, that's a good point. Getting, Absolutely.
1: kind of wrapping up his little murder spree here. Not little, huge murder spree. Um, basically, the way this all came crashing down for Charles is in 2002, um, he was working at St. Luke's, and a co-worker who we had touched on um, found vials of medication in disposal bin. Now, the reason that was kind of like, whoa, what's going on here, is because there was a ton of these vials, one, and two, they weren't... Um, like we talked about, they weren't medication that people steal typically from hospitals because they're not valuable to people outside of the hospital. Right. No one needs heart medication. No one's going to be stealing that to Nobody over you know, the yeah. Exactly. Get high,
2: yeah. So
1: basically this nurse like looked at this and reported it and was like, "Yo, you know, she probably didn't say yo, but she was probably like, "Listen, I found all these vials. This doesn't make any sense." And lo and behold, they looked and that's when they found the Tylenol was next to the heart drug and that's how this all kind of came crashing down. Basically um, he this so this is the part that infuriates me and I can't wait to discuss with you Richie. He was offered by St. Luke's a deal by the medical by the medical staff there by the uh, sub, I don't know what they're called superiors. There's I guess a I board know. at hospitals yeah.
2: typically, right? If they if privately owned, which I believe all these were, yeah. correct? Oh, I
1: don't, yeah.
2: Yeah. No so yeah. So which is also something of note. He manipulated the system also by working only in private hospitals without having to get into a larger network where they do track you and keep you on that thing of like, hey, you know, what's your work history? What's your medical history? Because I think that wouldn't you have to report all that if you worked at a... I mean, obviously, Richie, you're not in the industry, but I would think if anybody out there listening is, let us know, because we... I I am curious. If you work in a larger hospital network, like in Pittsburgh, we have UPMC UPMC and AGH, Allegheny Health Network. And I know for a fact my friends that are either nurses or PAs, and I know one doctor uh, who... He works for that. At that I think it's AGH, but he has changed hospitals several times. But all of his credentials and everything, or everything he's done, transfers with him.
3: Yeah, I mean that, that's absolutely true. It's it's like um like going to McDonald's, and you're not gonna, once you get fired from McDonald's, you're not able to go any of the other McDonald's. Right. But in the right. standalone mom and pop burger shop, they might not do their homework. Exactly. And he was at Mom and mom and pop the hospitals, I guess you could say. So right.
1: basically, what happened was with St. Luke's. After figuring out that he was taking this medication that clearly was the stuff that was ending up killing their patients, they offered him a deal, resign, and be given a neutral recommendation or be fired. Right. Why were those the two options he was given? (laughs) He was killing people.
3: We'll give you another. If if they fire him, all their donors, all their support sees what happened that happened under their eyes and then exposes them. If, yeah. if they give them the option to resign, it's not all over the front pages of the paper.
1: But like, well,
2: I don't know how smart like, Charles like, Collin was, but I mean. If why didn't we,
1: anyone call the police? Well, I,
2: I don't know how. We don't know how smart he was. I mean, honestly. There are some sadistic people out there that are also incredibly bright. Maybe he was sitting in that room. he was the
1: top of his nursing class.
2: Well, well, wait a minute. Yeah, he was. So he was obviously very bright. Maybe he was sitting in that dark room in that meeting saying, hey, listen, you know I'm a PR nightmare for you, right?
1: Maybe.
2: Maybe I decide to talk a little bit after my attorney leaves the room and I tell my story about all that I've seen in the medical industry and all that I've done and how easy this was. How easy I got through with all this.
3: Right, they were all definitely concerned about appearing that they had their pants down, and they did.
2: So. And they yeah. did, yeah. I mean, oh yeah, they were well up Shit's Creek and Of course, to paddle.
1: he ended up resigning and he was escorted from the building in June 2002. Now, seven of his co-workers at St. Luke's before this happened... I hope they roughed happened, him up a little bit. They later <laughs> alerted the Lehigh County District Attorney about their suspicions that Cullen had used drugs to kill patients investigators never looked into cullen's past and the case was dropped nine months later due to lack of evidence again lack of evidence there's evidence everywhere homie had vials of drugs that were suspiciously used to kill all these people in a garbage can and that's there's no i'm so confused how any of this happened but i think you're right i think it was more like shh like don't let this get out, we'll deal with it on the low. We'll get him out of the hospital so he can't do it anymore. But then they're giving him the opportunity to do it in a different hospital.
2: Rock the boat, don't yeah. rock the boat, baby. Rock oh the boat. No, I'm sorry. It, <laughs> it,
1: it happens. So I
3: think just just uh something to add to that. There was there have been a couple of investigations against him that that came up with not enough basically. They they got it like almost all the way across the goal line and they said we just can't we can't bury this guy. Yeah. And then they gave up on it. Um, and I think that these hospitals kind of knew that they probably there wasn't a home-run verdict against this guy or a home-run murder case against this guy, and they figured they could skate on it. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, it, the way it was done was very hard to trace. Um, yeah, I, I know that sound, I know it sounds ridiculous, but it was. Richie, is, um, that,
2: is that your opinion as well? Do you share that opinion, that this would have been a difficult case to prosecute at that juncture? I mean, in 1993, when he was first hospitalized in a psychiatric ward but he was also fired for that same reason and then i mean this happened again 10 years later in 2003 uh, you know do you think this would have been a difficult case to prosecute at that point though i mean at that juncture they didn't have too much evidence against this guy yeah and
3: none, and none of that gets in the fact that he's in a psych ward the fact that he's got a history of domestic violence the fact that he's all those things don't get in uh, right. because when we try a person we try for the crime that's being accused not all those other things it's, right. it's what's called a 404b motion you try to keep out prior crimes So none of that gets in. So then you have a situation where you say, can I prove that Joe Smith had his IV bag spiked by Charles Cullen on December 4th? Because if you can't prove that, you can't prove your case. And I think that that's where the problems were coming up. I mean, these people were – many times they were in the ground, and it was – you know, everybody said something smells, nothing was passing the smell test, but nobody could figure out what the bad smell was. Now, question, um, here,
2: here, just off of what you just said really quickly now, are all prior bad acts inadmissible, and this might be just a question for the state of New Jersey, but are all prior bad acts inadmissible, even if they show a pattern like this now, guy? That's a,
3: that's a, that is a great point. So, um, in New Jersey and in most states, you can show habit or plan um, kind of, you uh, know, it's a good example, like the wet bandits from home alone. Yeah,
2: that's they're, what I was just going to say. Your MO is the same. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah,
3: so, so you can bring that in, but you can't bring it, you know, that somebody was had domestic violence issues or was in a psych ward. That's irrelevant to the plan, to the habit. Right, okay. But, yeah, if this guy's flooding the uh, bathroom every house he robs, you can say that to say this was probably
2: the guy that did it. So I'm so wondering why like, could, at no point did anybody decide that let's make a phone call to these other hospitals he's worked at and see why they let him go.
3: Yeah, I, I don't know if we'll ever understand why they didn't connect the dots. And, yeah. and that's, like I said, the punishment fits the crime. In my opinion, it's not Cullen whose punishment didn't fit the crime.
2: It's uh, all the people who failed whose yes. punishment didn't fit the crime. Yes, and we'll absolutely get back to that because I definitely... But I am I'm, I'm just wanted to ask that question really quickly because I know... like it's it, a good
3: question because yeah. anybody who's listening has got to be like, why did they prosecute this guy? 400 deaths
2: go. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, since this has been happening for the last 16 years, you know, why didn't they include all of these? And he only admitted, like Lisa said, to 20.
3: 14 or something. Yeah. Somewhere in the teens, the
2: high teens. And, I mean, there's an estimated, you said over 400. I mean, who knows? You know, that's just an estimate.
1: Yeah. So, this, like, this is so recent. It just kills me. So, in 2003, he was at Somerset Hospital, and he, um, he... People were catching on to him, again, of course, because this man, you know, as sneaky as it seems he was, people caught on pretty quickly to what he was doing. Uh, basically, he
2: yeah, that's that smart.
1: Yeah, right? People began to notice clues indicating Cullen was, you know, in charge of people's deaths. He killed at least eight people in the Somerset Hospital. And the hospital's computer system showed that Cullen was accessing records of patients who he was not assigned, coerced co-workers began seeing him in the rooms of patients who he was not assigned uh the hospital's computerized drug cabinet that we said was showing that he was opening these drawers and taking medication that he was not clocking out so people started catching on they saw him in rooms of these which is creepy as hell seeing a a creepy nurse because he's creepy as shit looking uh you know lingering in these people's lingering in these people's rooms um so in July 2003, the executive director of the New Jersey Poison Information and Education System warned Somerset officials that at least four suspicious overdoses indicated the possibility that an employee was killing patients. Well, no fucking shit. Um, so, like, of course. And if you go back in that in that same employee's track record of hospitals, if you if you even just Google the name of the hospital he came from, you'll see that that's not the last time. You know, it's not a one-off issue. Um, So basically, for whatever reason, like we talked about, that hospital sat down and decided it would be a really great idea to delay contacting authorities until October. I don't know why October was the sweet spot, but that's when they decided that it would be a great time to tell authorities. So they knew uh, months before. In July, they sat down and talked about it. October is when they decided to call the police. Now, by then, Cullen had killed at least another five patients and attempted to kill a six.
2: And he was using epinephrine, digoxin, insulin. Now he was using what he spiked somebody else with, like a different cocktail.
1: I can't can't pronounce any of these drugs.
2: He was experimenting with things at this point, you know? I think at that point, he he was getting pretty sloppy
1: towards the end.
2: getting reckless definitely
3: so
1: this is kind of where his end came at the somerset hospital basically what had happened um is a patient in the somerset hospital died of low blood sugar in october 2003 and that's when the hospital finally decided that it was a great idea to alert the new jersey state police and that would be cullen's final known victim mm-hmm. um so that's where that's when they find a I still don't understand this But that's when they decided Hey this is a great time We should probably tell the police That something's going on here And we, we think all signs point to who it was Just like every other hospital It was never a surprise to any of these people Who could it have been They didn't have hard evidence But every sign It's like that man walked around With a billboard behind him Pointing with arrows down at him yeah. Saying I'm your guy haha!" Ha. Like you know check me out um,
2: He walked around with a big FU On the front of his shirt
1: Right, so now we're going to get into the interesting part the arrest and the trial. So, state officials cascaded, uh, which means they obviously screamed at the hospital. They reprimanded them severely. The hospital for failing to report non fatal insulin overdose administered by Cullen in August. So, left and right, these hospitals are messing up, and state officials did you know, go after the hospital a little bit, not with any charges, but they did uh, reprimand them for the fact that they failed to report any of this. Now, an investigation into his appointment history revealed, obviously, as we talked about, a gazillion past suspicious behaviors uh, regarding him and these other deaths. Um, So, Somerset did end up firing Cullen on October 31st, 2003 for lying on his job application. Fellow nurse uh, Amy Lauren. (laughs) alerted the police
3: she becomes the the key person
1: yep and she's the one who figured out that he was opening joy for a for a and b taking b when he was saying he was taking a so that's that's kind of who put it to a head she she caught on to his antics um before they arrested him though they had to keep him under surveillance for several weeks until they had finished their investigation because they wanted to make sure that they had enough to nab him on is what i'm guessing Um, So he was officially arrested at a restaurant on December 12, 2003, charged with one count of murder and one count of attempted murder. One. Now, yeah, that's what I wanted to talk to you about, Richie. Why do you think they only went after one count at first?
2: I think I know why.
1: Why?
3: Well, if, if if they had one count of murder and one count of attempted murder airtight, which is what they had at that point, that's why they charge that. They can get the rest later when he
2: confesses. That's exactly that's what, what they, I was going to yeah. say. If you can prove yeah, they, one, go get one. You can get him for exactly. life in jail for one yeah. count of murder. So Right. This guy one. was skating around
3: for 16 years without them having an airtight uh, case. And then when yeah. this, this late Amy, who was a CI or confidential informant, she was wearing a wire and um, got him to sing enough where they had an airtight case for an attempted murder and for a murder. And that's what they got him for. So they popped him on that. And then when you sit him down, he sang about the rest. Yep.
1: And, yeah, it was interesting. During his interrogation, um, he said, and I quote, I did not want people to see me like this, what I am. And, of course, the detective who was on the case said, what are you, Charles? And he said, he was, he was now 43, mind you. He's been doing this for quite some time. And he said, a man, person, who was trusted and had responsibility for a lot of people dying. I hate myself for it because I don't believe I had the right, but I couldn't stop. I couldn't. Now, later he, like we talked about, admitted to murdering um, as many as 40 patients over his 16-year career. However, we've talked about this enough um, detectives and investigators do believe it was well over that. They believe it was double, triple, you know, quadruple that number.
2: As many as Because he
1: bad. had access to everybody that was dying in this hospital, people that weren't dying in this hospital. Everybody. Yep. So he had people on the brink of death, he had people nowhere close to death, and I think he targeted them all. Um, and I'm sure the ones that were closer to death, no one better an eye. People expected that to happen. Yeah. Uh, people that weren't, that's the ones where the flag started going up a bit. Um, April 2004, Cullen pleaded guilty in a New Jersey court to killing 13 patients and attempting to kill the two others by lethal injection while employed at Somerset. A month later, he pleaded pleaded guilty to the murder of three more patients in New Jersey. And in November 2004, Cullen pleaded guilty to an Allentown court about killing six patients and trying to kill three others. His victim's loved ones... Angrily branded him vermin, garbage, and a monster who ruined lives and shattered their faith in the medical profession. Which I don't blame them at all. Yeah. Can you want
3: You want to hear a very, a very strong irony of this whole thing? Yeah. Please. He, he take he takes that deal to to play out and take responsibility for this specific number of killings, and he does it for one reason. Yep. To avoid to avoid the death
2: penalty.
1: Yep. And
3: this injection. is a guy who is preaching about how he's suicidal his whole life, 20 failed attempts at suicide, and now he is cowering and taking a deal to avoid lethal injection, the same sentence that he imposed on people against their will for 16 years. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredibly ironic. Yeah. It's, probably the, it's probably the biggest cowardice move that you can imagine.
2: I almost uh, wouldn't have granted. It. As much as I'm sure they wanted to do it for the families, I almost wouldn't have granted that to him if I were in the prosecutor's seat. I would have. Yeah, said,
3: I mean the de- the death penalty was on the table, and it's not it's not it's not something that's um available in New Jersey. But because they're in this particular situation, it was on the table for him. Um, so they could have said, you know what, no deals, and they could have prosecuted him, but they might not have gotten. The information that they wanted for a lot of the other murders that they didn't have, so mm-hmm. they kind of compromised. Richie, probably can- the vi- yeah. Sorry, guy.
2: No, no, sorry. Just can you explain real quickly how if it's not available in New Jersey, it was still available to him? Just for one, two ways,
3: I, and I'm not sure which one because I, I don't, I didn't look into it enough. The New Jersey, the death only hasn't been available since 2007. It was available from. 1982 to 2007, and nobody was ever executed under it in New Jersey during that time period. And then in 2007, it was completely uh, taken out of the state statutes. But it is still federally available. I mean, people can be um, executed under federal law, like the guy, the uh, Oklahoma City bomber, Timothy McVeigh, he was executed under federal law. And so there's still federal law that you can execute. So I'm not sure if it's still available in pennsylvania or not but they certainly could if it is available they could have got them on those ones too so I, I don't know,
2: believe i do know it is. on the
3: table it is
2: i don't believe it is um, oh I
3: don't but then it must have been under federal law um they certainly it was on the table though because that that was the that was the only reason he pled out otherwise he wouldn't pled out
2: right yeah Right.
1: So on March 2nd, 2006, he was sentenced to 18 consecutive life sentences in New Jersey and is not eligible for parole. This is so fucking funny until uh, the year 2403. Why do they even like like? Is it just like just for funsies that they even say that? Because it's like he's not he's not an alien. He's not gonna be alive for even you know another 40 years, let alone. 400. You're right. um, but he is currently being held at the New Jersey State Prison in Trenton. And on March 10th, Cullen was brought into the courtroom of Lehigh County um, President Judge William H. Platt for a sentencing hearing. Now, Cullen was upset with the judge and he kept repeating, Your Honor, you need to step down for 30 minutes until Judge had Cullen gagged with a cloth and duct tape. First, I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know a judge could have someone gagged to shut them up would wouldn't they just th- rip you out of the courtroom? i don't
2: think when you'd be removed from the courtroom first but i like this a lot better right Thomas. well yeah, even I after do,
1: being do, gagged so, I mean, he continued to repeat the phrase i'm not
3: sure which is more offensive to not go to your sentencing at all and deprive the victims of of watching you be imposed sentence or to sit on a backboard tied with a with a, you know your mouth gagged in duct tape mumbling ladder. <laughs> yeah, and apparently i mean i remember watching the news on this he was screaming and mm-hmm. you couldn't even hear what the victims were saying and he was overshadowing their moment um at closure by yelling at this judge you need to step down which again goes to show how much of a coward this
1: guy is right?
3: he yeah. was such a coward
1: in your mm. um in your time you know being an attorney have you ever had someone lose their brain in court and like just not shut up and have to be like physically held back because like matt uh, said it, and, like, i, I mean it. yeah the thing is
3: you're already pretty restrained when you're you know when you're a criminal and, and being sentenced you have your yeah. handcuffs on you know never so it's not necessarily physical that they're going to be moving or anything. And this guy just couldn't keep his mouth shut. And they certainly, I mean, I've never seen it personally, but to stop someone from interrupting court, they can take measures. Most of the time they'll just remove them and take them back down to the cell downstairs until they cool off and bring them back upstairs. Mm -hmm. But in this situation, I mean, it was pretty clear he wasn't going to stop and the judge wasn't going to give him the satisfaction of being removed from his sentence. So he said, you know what, we're going to do this right now. And, uh, and we're going to do it this way. And yeah. I, it, it was never taken to, nobody took, took him to task for at the judge, so I guess everybody was okay with it.
1: You're well, to that the, judge. The, the judge obviously. ended up giving him yeah. an additional six life sentences for his outburst. So that's why it turned into... So, so I guess it's 2,500. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: It's a shame these yeah. don't equate to, like, lashes right. or something like they used to. Because, like, six life sentences, he's still going back to his cell. Right, you know, like, like, you know, that's just, like, a right. joke
1: at that point. Yeah,
2: I mean, um, he's like, okay, you know, add an extra fuck you for that seventh yeah. life sentence, you know? Right. Like, but you know, before but, we
1: go over um, Eye for an Eye, like, in, uh, you know, an extensive way, I wanted to just go over a few things really quick. Motive. So, uh, basically, Cullen had said... That in which I think we'll talk about in a second what we think about this, if we think it's true or false, which I think I know what we're all going to say. But basically, he told the, the detectives that he overdosed patients in order to spare them from being coded, which means going into cardiac arrest or needing um, you know, the code blue to be called, which is an emergency okay. where you need to be resuscitated. And he told detectives that he could not bear witness or hear about attempts at saving a victim's lives. He also stated that he gave patients overdoses so that he could end their suffering and prevent hospital personnel from dehumanizing them. So, obviously, we talked about not all of his patients were terminal patients, so that's kind of moot point. But what do you guys think about that? Do you think, you know, he really believed he was helping these people, or do you think that he's just a deranged motherfucker?
3: Uh, well, I I know for a fact that he's a, a deranged motherfucker. Uh,
1: I mean, he,
3: he, his his position well is completely illogical. If you look at what happened to my friend Mike, mm-hmm. um, who I think I told you about. So, and part of the reason I want to do this case is because you know, um, it, focusing on the killer a lot of times leaves the victims um, without a name. So I want to say his name is Mike Strenko was my friend who I pledged my fraternity with my first semester at Seton Hall. Uh, he was one of my pledge brothers. And I thought, I mean, when I was, when I was a ju- it happened, I guess, when I was a junior, he passed away. And we had no clue. We had no clue what happened. I mean, it was all of a sudden they called and they were like, dude, stop, passed away. That was his pledge name. And we all went to the funeral. And by the way, if you don't know how important you are to somebody when you go to their funeral and their like fraternity shirt and jacket is next to the casket, you get a feeling about how, how much they like being part of the, of what you were part of. Yeah. So, I mean, this was it was out of nowhere. He passes away. We all thought it was because he had some type of disease that we didn't know about. Because he was fine. He was everyone. He was the same as every other dude. Uh, freshman year, hanging out. Sophomore year, hanging out. And then all of a sudden, he was dead. Our junior year, mm-hmm. um, which was, you know, hard to understand when you're 20 years old. I mean, you don't experience that much death at a young age, so you can't really understand it. You just kind of accept what's said. Um, and I didn't find out till later on that Colin spiked his IV and killed my friend. Um, and he had an, when I come to find out I thought um, that it was like a spleen issue or that what he was in the hospital for that it was a short stay he was going to get out. Um, it turns out he had a genetic autoimmune disease but not a fatal one. I mean he was, mm-hmm. was going to be good. He was going to be good. He was going to he leave. He's 21 years old. 21. So you have all these people who are 60 years old and dying or 70 or 80 or whatever. A person's an AIDS patient on their deathbed. Mike Schrenko was not on death's bed. He was very athletic. He was in good shape. I mean, I pledged with him. He had no problem doing Roman chairs for a long time. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, he, he was a cool dude, and he was not dying, and this guy killed him. So, yeah. for him to take the position that he a mercy killer or that um, he was doing this to avoid other hospital personnel from degrading people. Mike wasn't going to get degraded. He was good. He was just going to get whatever he needed to get strong enough to leave the hospital and go home to his family. And he didn't... He never went home. So, I, the what I'm saying to you is I have a factual basis to believe that he was deranged motherfucker, as you say.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, so that's I, my, I just want to say...
3: Position. And I wanted to talk about my buddy, so I wanted to say that. No, I,
2: I really appreciate you saying that, though, honestly, Richie, because... We do tend to, in all of these cases, focus more on the killer, and obviously that's what intrigues people, but these yeah, cases are about the victims. Yeah, it's possible not to. These cases but, are know, about the victims. you want to so, remember
3: yeah. the people who were affected.
1: You know, they oh, probably yeah. said, oh, you know, maybe it was just the hospital, maybe he just died from like a liver or something, but not right. in reality. You know I'm, I'm
3: kind of, you know, I, I, I don't want to say this because I don't, I don't understand it enough, but... Maybe the people who they aren't sure about can have a little bit more um, satisfaction in not thinking that this guy killed their, their
2: loved one. Yeah. But I don't know. I, what do I know?
1: Well, so... Nah, I appreciate um, that, man. Before we read off, you know, the the people that he uh, so callously took, I wanted to go over... First of all, we'll go over the legality in a second. But I want to go over some interesting aftermath. Now, we were talking about the irony that he was trying to get off of the death penalty by making a plea deal. Um, basically... <laughs> Through my research, I found that uh, Mr. Cullen had threatened not to attend his sentencing unless he was allowed to donate a kidney to a relative of of a friend in New York State. Now, that person was on the brink of renal failure, and Mr. Cullen was, quote, just trying to help someone who was going to die without a kidney. And then his lawyer said, you know, I know there's a certain amount of irony involved here because, of course, he made a career out of killing people, of making sure that people weren't going to survive. Um, Now, New Jersey law does not require people convicted of crimes to attend their sentencing. However, I think the prosecutors um, really wanted to nail it home. They really wanted him to have to face his victims. So this was important to them to cut this deal with him, let him donate his kidney or liver, whatever Um, it was his kidney, uh, to... So he so he would have to face these people. And he was being a turd, and he was like, I'm not going to go unless you let me do this. So he did end up donating his kidney, but they made him go to sentencing first to make sure that he showed up for sentencing. So he went to sentencing, and then he got to donate a kidney, uh, which was crazy to think about, but it happened. Yeah.
3: I think, he, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure what his motivation for doing that was, if it was a sincere motivation or if he's a tension whore. And if it was an attention mm-hmm. grab, um, which it may very well have been, I I hate almost even acknowledging it or talking about it because you know you almost look for a way to vindicate this guy, and it is right. not a vindication.
1: No, absolutely not. It's just it, I think it's more of a manipulative move. I think it's more him yeah, trying to keep control and, be, an and yeah. be kind of sneaky, just like just like when he would. Uh, be there for the code blues that yep. he caused. I think this is his, another way, his last in, ditch effort to be like, into
2: the crime. to be yeah, like Yeah, a false hero. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: without me, this guy would either die or with you know, with or without me, I'm part of it. Yeah. So I think that was just an interesting note. Now legality, of course, we've gone over again and again and again and again how in the world any of this happened because of course we would think you know the medical profession back then at least uh, you know we know if it's changed now, but we would think they'd have to report between the hospitals, but we've discussed in uh, great detail how we think it was more of a, let's keep this under wraps because it's going to be more of an issue for us than to, to let this guy go free. But what I want to talk to you guys about was, um, uh, Richie, especially for you, why do you think there were no charges brought up against the hospitals that let this man walk free? Is it because there was no way of proving that they 100% knew it was him?
3: Um. I don't know. I don't know if they can ever prove that somebody was complicit in covering it up. Maybe that's why. Um, I don't know if they chose to, to focus on Cullen. You know, there's always the, the position that, although people might have done some shitty things, they, they maybe didn't intend for anybody to
2: actually mm-hmm. die. Do we um, know if there were any civil lawsuits yes. brought against yes. so there was, the Yeah, there were
3: civil lawsuits, and they were all settled out of court for not the amount of money. and By all the and families. There's, It's all...
2: Very hush hush that's, I was going to say I, I didn't see too much public record of anything so I mean, there is none yeah there's yeah.
3: none of all of them which is kind of that's kind of unique because you know it's not unusual to have a you know a, a non-disclosure agreement for a settlement between two people but between
2: however many people this was mm-hmm. it's would hard would assume to believe it was that. a large settlement or several large settlements
3: yeah like. it's, it's hard to believe that one family was was like you know fuck it I'm not going to settle I want to go right. to court I want my day court I want to have this thing go to a jury right. and not one family did But you know what, maybe there's a thousand reasons why they may not Mm -hmm. want to. I do this for, I I do personal injury lawsuits. I mean, I I live in that world and I understand that there's so many motivations that no one can understand Mm -hmm. unless they're in that position um, to not take a case to trial or to settle or whatever else. There's Mm -hmm. so many reasons.
1: So, yeah, prompted by the Cullen case, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and 35 other states adopted new laws in hospitals which encourage employers to give an honest appraisal of a worker's job performance and which gives employers legal protections when they provide a truthful employee appraisal. So there was good that came out of this, and there are, I mean, I would hope, if they didn't do anything after this, I don't know how they wouldn't have been shut down. Um,
3: And it was substantial what they did after. I mean, they... It's changed the landscape for the entire country for the way Absolutely. that medical providers um, do their hiring. So it, there's this, there's a silver lining in that, that these victims had a, a part in maybe future people not going through the same thing.
1: Yeah. I for an eye. Let's talk about it. So I know we kind of mentioned it. Uh, do you think uh, Cullen's sentence of uh, to getting out at 2,405 year, the year 2,405, is a proper sentence for his crimes, just focusing on him right now? Is that for me? For all everybody.
3: Yeah, um, I'll start, and it's kind of, um, it, you know, I, I I have to say this because it's the way I feel. I'm not a I I'm not a proponent of death penalty. I'm actually against it, so I have to say that there's no other option.
1: Uh 100%. a hundred
3: percent. So a life sentence without parole is the only thing in my moral code, and in under our law that I believe he can get. I agree. And this him. is the hard. This is the hardest case for me to think that way. Just you know, to not like this would keep me up at night yeah. if I was imposing sentence on him and death, death was on the table. Um, this would be the one that would keep me up at night. But uh, I, I don't think we, I don't believe in the death penalty, so
2: I couldn't vote for. It.
1: Yeah. Hmm. What about you, Matt?
2: I would make him push his own plunger. I'm a full proponent of the <laughs> death penalty. I would make him push his own plunger. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I, I mean, think I, yeah, you I mean if, if you're if you're in favor of it, you hang this motherfucker high. Yeah, you know? yeah. and that's what I mean. I, I would literally make him inject himself with saline solution first and pop yeah. that into his. Yeah, really, I mean, hours. if we're doing the lawless society type of
3: thing, there's definitely some torture that this guy
2: could get put uh, through. But yeah. I, I, I'm looking at it through a legal lens. Yeah. Oh, I understand, I, and you have to. Yeah. I unfortunately, I have no legal boundaries <laughs> yeah, holding you, me within. You have the liberty to go at it. Holding man, me within my seats, mind. I have some real fun stuff to say for the, sure. The tenets of my mind are very loose. I'll tell you that, my friend. Yeah, I
3: sit
2: in a different seat, man yeah right exactly we don't want to incriminate you on anything here um, no but I honestly do believe that you know what in the hell is the point of sentencing a guy to 500 like Larry Nasser was just sentenced to god knows how many years in prison right. I'm like right that's, me a yeah, favor. that's another good example take that's that example. dude out back put a bullet in his head and then go in dig the bullet out and reuse it on the next piece of shit so we don't waste the <laughs> bullet you know I mean I'm, I'm sorry I'm I'm pretty ruthless with stuff like that but honestly some people I think are just irretrievable I would consider Charles Collin to be irretrievable at this point. So I mean, yeah, you know, it, it, I agree
3: with you. I, I agree. If, there's, if there was a facility to put these guys in to, to
2: never look back again, he's he's one of them. Absolutely. Yeah.
3: There's, um, no, there's no rehabilitation for Charles Collin. It's only punitive.
2: But yeah. I do respect your opinion. Absolutely, from a legal perspective, that isn't an option on the table. So yes, at this point, I do believe an eye for an eye was met legally because there is no other juncture than to go life without parole you know
1: what i wish so. um for these kind of cases if you know of course death penalty nonsense i mean i'm back and forth with the death penalty i don't i don't have like any religious tie to it but i do go back and forth whether or not i believe it's something you know that we should be doing but that's besides the point um but for me that's not, it's not besides the point that's exactly the point I well, Yeah, that's yeah right. yeah i exactly. agree
2: i would agree that's a but um,
1: Because yeah, and I'm not religious either at all. This yeah. is this is just a purely I don't moral, think yeah. Can, no, we can't play. You know, who I are, are we, we to play? You know,
2: play God yeah. exactly like you were going to say. Like you know, it's not even. I think that is the big hang-up of it. Is are you willing to take a life? Because if you're willing right. to say you're willing to take a life, then you might be willing you, to yeah. take a life.
1: Oh, and also, what makes you different than him then? But um, but my well thing is, well put, least yeah, yeah, well but put. But my, but yeah. my thing is, you know, is. I'm against the way prisons treat prisoners. Now, I know it's not like a fairy tale land in there. I know that. I know that, you know, they do, you know, you'd rather not be in prison. That's probably. But, I'd you really know, I I mean, know, I want to know that I, this I'll man is this. sitting I in a black there. hole. You know what I mean? I, I, yeah, I go to prison.
3: I go there and it is not a nice place. I don't yeah. want you to think that you have, you know, a distorted vision of what jail is. Yeah. Right. You go in there, it smells, it's nasty. <laughs> you go to the bathroom when they tell you what you go to the bathroom, yep. you go to sleep, you get up, you eat what they tell you to eat. It's not a good thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah.
3: jail, jail does suck. Um, you hear these, you know, these, uh, rumors about country clubs where people are club fit walking around and out of track and enjoying the lifestyle. <laughs> it's not, it's not a true story. Most of the time, most of the time jail is a very unpleasant yeah. place to be. Even when I go in there, when I go in there, the gates cling shut behind you. It's a cold, ugly place and you're in there with the inmates and it's not, when I leave there. Um, I'm glad to see the sun
2: because yeah. you don't see it when you're in there. You get, you get a quick shower, I'm sure. Yeah,
1: so. and I mean, I, I can yes. understand that, but I still wish it was, if for these kind of criminals, like for this guy, instead of killing him, I wish we could just literally put him in a hole and just like leave him there. You know uh, what I mean? Like It's called solitary yeah, well, confinement. So a lot me. of these guys, a lot of these
3: guys doing life, um, that are, uh, you know, a danger to themselves or to the other inmates are in the hole. They're in Solitaire. and Solitaire, yeah.
1: is in... See, absolute... that's where I want him to be. Do we know it, if he's it, there? I don't,
3: know, I don't know if Colin's in Solitaire. I don't know that. That uh, would be eye for eye Honestly, part of me always wanted to go see him. And, and, like, confront, maybe not confront them, but have a conversation with If them. you do, uh, you Richie,
1: better come back yeah. on our show. <laughs> no,
2: wait, hold on. Richie, I'll, I'll, I'll do you one better. If you do, please let us know in advance because I'll make the trip out there. I'll visit some family, and I'll go with you if possible. Because yeah, that would be. Yeah. I mean,
3: I'll, I'll see if it's something we can do. He has historically so not wanted to see anybody you're
1: talking about yeah.
3: it because he's a coward, like I said. Yeah. Of course,
2: but uh, tell him maybe we're are. we're writing a biography or something. <laughs> you, know? you can tell
1: him we'll be on a podcast.
2: Yeah, maybe we're uh, you know I'm, in <laughs> besti- I'm an investigative, investigative journalist here to do a special on you. I think you're innocent. Uh, yeah, I mean, if we get in there and
1: see him, we just
2: oh my god, I would die. Oh yeah, well I I would be the first to have a really good conversation with him. I'm sure you can ask. I would just be, I'd be goading him the whole time, just be like, "Oh man, I've shortened my insulin today, and I just really could. Be, do you know where I could get some?" Like Charles, Charles, you're an
1: asshole. I'm so fucked. Um, I know. but what I was gonna say was, you know, I, you know, I wish that, you know, for the really like hard criminals, because I know, like, I know, pr- uh, prisons no dream. I understand that. However, <laughs> I wanted to be. Uh, even more so of a nightmare. You know what I mean? I don't want it to yeah, just be yeah. prison for like all the other prisoners in there on drug offenses. I want it to be you murdered a sh- shitload of people in cold blood, you sick fuck, you should be in a hole to never see even a crack of daylight.
2: But here's the thing you, know, y- you still have to pay tax dollars to feed that guy. But too. it's
1: more to <laughs> and- kill someone, Matt. Did you know that? It costs more money to put someone through uh, death row. Fact.
2: Yeah, like I said, I would take the <laughs> dude out back, put the bullet in his head, go in surgically, remove it, oh, no. and reuse it so we don't waste bullets too often. Jesus. And it would not cost that much money. It would not cost money, honestly. <laughs> Maybe
1: you should pitch that if to you, the. If, if you want a good look inside
3: Death Row and Solitary Confinement, if you read Damien Eccles' book, like the. Oh, what is it called? It's.
1: Um, oh, I can't remember. But Damien Eccles was one of the guys in the West Memphis 3. Oh, um, I was going to say, why me? does that no,
2: sound so death. familiar? It's After Death is the name of his book. Like the Biggie Out. Like the Biggie Out. Thank you. Oh, my God, Richie. We just became <laughs> hobbies, man. I appreciate it. that book, it gives you a good glimpse into what it's like to live on death row, which he lived on for like 16 years, I think, before mm. he was let out. That and I, I do a podcast, too. I might
3: as well plug myself, called The Under Oath Podcast. And one of the other members of the West Memphis Three was on my podcast and talked a lot about what it was like to be in jail.
1: Jason Baldwin, really oh. cool dude. That's I know awesome. And those guys were falsely accused because it's kind of a reversal of what we're talking about here. Right. Um, oh, hell yeah, we'll so be checking that out. Really, really yeah, that, that episode's really worth listening to if you're curious. I think about your whole podcast is worth out. listening to based yes. on these conversations. Absolutely,
2: Thank man. Thank
3: you. Yeah, yeah, check it out. Under oath. Under oath with Rich Lemuro. Yes. It's only
1: like it's only
3: like eight episodes long because I've um I've been pretty selective on what I've put out there and I don't know how many I'll do more. But the ones that are there are pretty cool. Check them out. Oh, hundred percent. We'll
1: definitely plug that in our show notes as well just so no everyone doubt. can Thank check you. it out. Of course. Yeah. Thank you for being on our show. This yeah, is man. amazing.
3: This has been totally. so, man, I like talking about this stuff. Yeah. This
1: cool. Anytime yeah. you want to come back. Well, we're already having you back for Jerry Sandusky's case. It's happening. Yeah, because yeah, that's on our list. list. I'll read
3: up on that. I'll get educated. Yes. There. Absolutely,
1: yes. my friend. Um, but, yeah, so I guess we all really agree that uh, based on the sentencing alone, I for and I fits the crime for uh, Charles Cullen. Now, let's talk about the hospitals and the people uh those people do we believe that there should have been some kind of charge brought against them or uh richie in your you know expertise do you believe they wouldn't have had a case and it would have just kind of been like not
3: yeah that's actually a perfect question because i think it is twofold and i can't i i will say one no i don't think that the people who turned a blind eye to this man for his entire life um the punishment did not fit the crime some people must be held accountable for letting a guy like this slip through the cracks over and over again now part two of that is I'm not confident there was enough to ever get those people who let him slip through the cracks. Right. So um, I, I will disgruntledly say that maybe we wouldn't be able to get uh, a conviction against anybody in this case unless there was like the, the, the absolute, you know, smoking gun recorded meeting where Joe said to Bob, we know this guy's killing people, but we don't want to risk our donors and uh, we're going to go ahead and cover it up. If right. that was there, they deserve to be in jail. It, re- it very much reminds me of the Wall Street stuff. Yes, uh, and the Sandusky stuff. Where, you know, there's there's no doubt that so many people were complicit,
2: but how, how, who and how can you nail them down? Well, that was going to be my point, honestly. Same thing you just said exactly, Richie, was, you know, how do we know who are we prosecuting here? I mean, are we going right. after the board members of every hospital he worked at? Are we going after the HR staff that hired him? Are we going right. after, the, right. you know, who was the head nurse, or who was the, on charge of his shift? You know, that one night that he killed... Insert name. It doesn't matter. You know, who don't, Who knows? Because they didn't know necessarily what he was doing at the time. And obviously, if it's so privatized that he was able to hide it from everybody before this, you know, how do you select who and when? For 16 when? years. For 16 years. How do we select who is more and less culpable yeah. for what he yeah, did? Hard. That's a very difficult question. Yeah, absolutely. But I don't believe... I will totally agree with what you said, Richie. I don't believe that an eye for an eye was met simply because... I think there are plenty more people who could be held accountable and should in some way have had to face some type of consequences for allowing this man, this predator, to work his way through the system for so many years. I mean, the one thing about Penn State's scandal I will say is anybody that was responsible for that in any way was either fired or is dead. So, or yeah, is in they took jail. Big hits. They did, you're right. Yeah. They did. So at least there was some vindication. Maybe not everyone, but for the most part, the figureheads were at least held responsible. And that might be one of the unfortunate loose ends of Charles Cullen's case is that there are plenty more people we can say were guilty of being, you know, if not complicit, at least negligent. Yeah. So, well, yeah, Richie and angry. Matt, I look I,
1: forward to yeah. hearing your interview with him. <laughs> yes, yeah.
2: Let me know when you uh, when you decide to go see him, Richie. I'm drive yeah, out there, if I, man. If
3: I figure out a way to get us into Trenton State, I'll I'll go see this son of a bitch.
2: I'll buy you a steak at Rod's down there in Spring Lake, or in Seeger, man. Sold, so, so man. Right down the road from me, for sure. <laughs> Love it. My brother was just there this weekend, actually. So we'll make it happen. <laughs> All right, yeah, look me up next time you're down here, man. I will, man, for sure. And thank you once again for being on the show, man. Seriously, we totally come back
1: it. for whatever and any other episode Whenever. we do. I mean, having your insight is so valuable to us, one, because neither of us are lawyers, so we don't have yeah. that perspective. And two, because, I mean, you have a really great you know, input, and, and it's great to hear different sides of every... Peace, you know, you have the legal side, we have just our (laughs) opinions based on emotion.
2: As well as your personal, you know, your your personal tie to this case too, man, you know, it's Michael Stranko, And rest in peace to Michael and to all of the victims. Again,
1: our, you know, our sincerest condolences go out to all of the victims, your friend and, you know, everyone else, uh, every family that was haunted by this monster, um, you know, and continues to probably, you know, be affected by this, you know, asshole um, yeah,
3: definitely. So on on that note, I would say I don't know if they'll ever listen to it, but to the Stranko family for sure, I still think about my my pledge brother. So I'll put I that
2: know.
3: out there. Amen. Absolutely.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us, Richie. Like I said, we're gonna see you again for sure for Jerry's and Dusty's case. Thank you so much. We appreciate you for being on our show, and you guys have to definitely check out his show. One more time, plug it in there. Under oath, Under with oath. Rich Lemiro
2: Under oath with Rich Lemiro You guys heard it. That's it. Thank you, you again neighbors. for listening, everybody. We love you out there. And, Rich, thank you again. We truly appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys.
1: Thank you. Absolutely, All right. Have See a you. good night. So that was our amazing case with Rich. Uh, please go check out his podcast. We... We can't say enough good words about him about this conversation we want to know what you feel did he get the correct sentence did the punishment fit the crime should more people have been held responsible um but go check out our patreon page uh make a little donation if you're feeling if you're feeling good if you're feeling happy inside
2: if you love us then tell us why
1: and go (laughs) and go throw us a five-star review on itunes we love reading those they make my day every day Uh, We We like the
2: funny ones that don't like us, too, though. I mean, honestly, I get a kick out of it. Yeah,
1: they're great. Really, just leave us a review. Anything. Anything you're feeling. If you like steak, let us know in the comments. Let us know in the review section. Just please, someone, after listening to this, please comment. Five stars. I like steak.
2: Tell me you don't like my fucking (laughs) necktie. But tell me something.
1: (laughs) But we thank you so much for being a part of this episode. Tonight, check out his podcast, and we bid you adieu.
3: This monster didn't even know us or our son, but had the audacity to
2: end his life. I'd like to tell you a little bit about my mother that you murdered. You don't even have the guts to look this way, do you?
0: Charles, why don't you look up at us? I'd like to show you what you did to our children. This is their dad in his coffin. How do you like that?
1: John W. Yengo, Sr. 72. Lucy McGavero, 90. Mary Natoli, 85. Helen Dean, 91. Leroy Sin, 71. Earl Young, 76. Catherine Dext, 49. Frank Mazako. 66. Jesse Eichlin, 81. Autumn Marshram, 78. Matthew Mattern, 22. Irene Krapf, 79. William Park, 72. Samuel Sprangler, 80. Daniel George, 82. Edward O'Toole, 76. Eleanor Stoker, 60. Joyce E. McGinney, 74. Giacomino J. Toto, 89. John J. Shanager 83. Dorothea K. Hoagland, 80. Melvin T. Simcoe, 66. Michael T. Strenko, 21. Florian J. Gall, 68. Pasquale M. Napolitano, 80. Christopher B. Hardgrove, 38. Krishnakant, Apadye, 70. Edward P. Zizik, 73.
0: Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.